Benzinga's Cannabis Capital Conference returns to Miami Beach on April 11th and 12th. I may be biased, but I'm telling you this event is a can't miss. Join us to build the foundation of your next game-changing deal with CEOs and decision makers from leading companies in the industry. We're talking about the next wave of businesses, strategies from the most profitable businesses, and exactly what investors are looking for in a challenging market. Go to bzcannabis.com to meet your next investor, co-founder, and new friends. A little pro tip from me, right now tickets are $1,000 cheaper than prices at the door. Get yours now. Welcome in. I did not get a live notification. What's up, everybody? Hope everybody is having a wonderful start to your week. It is Tuesday, the last day of February. We are two months down in 2023, Javi, but you know what? We are rolling through. You know, I I just, we're going to get started here shortly. We have a really, really great show uh, for you all Mm -hmm. with some insightful guests. We're going to talk to Amy Larson from Tilt Holdings, their head of communications and marketing. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk to Jason Nelson, the CEO of Belief Medical, talking about the Missouri market and everything he's doing over there. I'm sure there's a lot we don't know, and I'm excited to dive in. But first and foremost, we ended 2022 crappily we'll say. But I got to tell you, man, I mean, we I feel like the industry jumped right back in to 2023, has been fighting, has been making it through. There's been some exciting catalysts happening, and it's been uh, fun to watch uh, people make this industry How better so? one day at a time. Okay, I want to hear what, you, what you're thinking about, because I'm... I'm on the fence about it. It's an okay year so far. <laughs> well, it could have been a lot worse, right? Nobody's, telling, nobody's saying this has been the best year ever. Nobody's saying this is the green rush times too. But what I am saying is that it could have been a lot worse, that people are efficiently moving forward. Uh, and I'm sure we can get some of that information from our guests today. Uh, but I think there's a lot of um, battening down the hatchings for, for a lack of a better phrase. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a step toward the maturing of this industry. And I think it's exciting to think about the outcome uh, that we might see in 12 to 18 months. So that's what I mean by that. Um, you know, love me or hate me, agree or disagree. I, I think there are some interesting things happening. Oh, yeah. Here's a discussion I had on Twitter today. Uh, totally random, but I want to see what you think. You know, this uh, we pu- published an article uh, showcasing some thoughts from Jason Wilson from ETFMG. Mm-hmm. And um, who do you think is the largest cannabis ETF out there? By volume or market cap or? Let's say net assets. I think that is a decent way to value an ETF. I mean, I, 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 you said ETFMG, (laughs) so I I guess them, I don't know, but MSOS would get my vote for volume. Exactly. Well, that, that was the thing, right? I, I had this idea of MJ, um, you know, that is issued by ETFMG being the largest for, for a very long time. And uh, today I, I, I was checking net assets volume, right? Net, net assets, I, I think MSOS, right, is, is the largest now. Net, net assets are around 400 and something million versus 320, 322 for MJ. Uh, volume is four times, the, you know, the trading volume for MSOS is four times the trading volume for MJ. Um, but I don't know, I, I, it was an, an interesting surprise, right? I hmm. thought... For a while, that that position of, of the the market leader when it came to ETFs was pretty undisputed. Well, there's so many more than one. There's more than one vehicle. Price. Yeah, I mean, MSOS is by far the one that's taken the the brunt of, of critique. We'll say the, the these first two months, um, you know. But I, I've always kept my eyes on CNBS. Uh, I did for THCX a little bit, but I feel like they're not as they don't really care as much as the others, if I'm just going to be blunt about it. I mean, Um, CMBS, CMBS, MPSDN and YOLO are definitely more active mm -hmm. or more actively managed, or at least more visibly actively managed, right? Because we don't know what's, what's going on uh, behind the scenes at THCX either. And honestly, if we were to measure by performance, none of them are doing great. They're, 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 uh, they're movers or shakers in a different way, uh, we'll say there. But with that being said, Jason Harris, Joe Donnelly, thank you so much for tuning in. Everybody watching, it's going to be a really nice show. With that said, Aaron Thomas, get us pumped up. Let's get rolling and let's dive Woo. into some news and some in uh, interviews. <laughs> 
All right, we are Did back. Did that play for you? Yeah, play for me. Oh. You're just not special. It's fine. Okay. Uh, with that said, y'all, as we do every single episode, Tuesday and Thursday, every day at 4 Eastern time on Benzinga Cannabis, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter. You can listen to this after the fact on Apple and Spotify. Get all your news throughout the day. We're just going to go ahead and plug this with Javier and his amazing team of writers at Benzinga.com slash cannabis. We feature these two amazing companies and all cannabis companies, large and small, plant touching or not on benzinga.com slash cannabis. So make sure you are tuning in there every single day. And we have tons. We have a newsletter. We have other podcasts. We have um, some exciting events that I think we'll touch on a little bit later. Uh, But with that being said, Javier, let's do a quick round, maybe three-minute round uh, of some news. Not even three. Not even three. I'm keeping you on it. Let's do a two-minute round, my guy. I want to get to the guests. Let's Will do it. cast Biden once again bound to release minorities in prison for marijuana possession during a Black History Month event. Uh, he basically said, I'm keeping my promise. No one should be in prison for uh, the mere possession of marijuana. Uh, too many minorities are in prison for that. Um, while the, uh, I would say, while the discourse is, is very cool, I approve, I like it, uh, figures seem to suggest the opposite. Uh, we had a report last week, I think, from from New York State showing that 90 percent of, of arrests were still for for black and, and, and Latino people. So, I mean, this is a trend that continues. I really want to see Biden uh, move in that direction. Then we had a fintech cannabis company, GreenCheck Verified, raised six million under a CEO's guidance. Uh, Nalu Bio securing 12 million in a Series A founding nice. round, uh, funding round led by Intrinsic Capital Partners. Yo, green check. Very. Well, I just want to. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just yeah. want to pause go, go, real go, go, quick go, go, and go. you know give a little uh, context here. Green check verified. Super interesting company, right? They are. They connect. You know, banks and, and operators. They. They are. You know, a, a company that has spurned from just pure need <laughs> uh, of banking services and even debt capital. Uh, I mean, they do quite a bit on the financial side. So really, really cool company there uh, in getting a nice investment that I think will uh, will push them maybe uh, to even further investments in the near future. We'll see about that, but uh, could just be conjecture on my side. Uh, but that said, Nelu Bio, do you have any insight there uh, in terms of what that uh, investment's for from Intrinsic? Uh, I mean, honestly, it's like accelerating growth, scaling the production of cannabinoids for consumer products and therapeutics, just like the basic, right? You know, scaling up uh, following a, a, a seed round. I think it's a pretty hefty Series A for 12 million right now, considering the, the, the state of the market. Um, yeah, most raises I'm hearing show. are like two to four million, you know, in, in that same comparison. Uh, so that is a, definitely a, he- a hefty raise. I mean, the, the thing that caught my eye the most here is, except for Bannaventure Equity, the rest of the the uh, investors in this round are not like well-known cannabis names. We're Mm-mm. seeing different names starting to pop up, right? Like the lead investor is Intrinsic Capital Partners, which we know, but then it's yeah. like Flybridge Capital, Portfolio, Active Aging, uh, Longevity, I don't even know how to pronounce that, Longevity Fund. Uh, L- L37 Ventures, which is not Liquid Aids. Do you Golden think this Seeds, is... Which is not Golden, Sma- Goldman Sachs. So I really don't know. <laughs> Goldman Seeds. Do you think this is them, just this is as far as they'll go in cannabis and, and you know, it's more of, of that sort of venture? Or is this, uh, I mean, is, is the opportunity for some of these companies available outside of cannabis? You know, and yeah, they, they see opportunity, like LeafLink, $100 million couple weeks ago, a week ago. I don't know. Time time all blends together right now. Uh, but $100 million um, it, by a lot of, by a few cannabis investors and a few not cannabis investors, you know, but does that wholesale aspect and that, that e-commerce style technology, um, does it, does it go uh, outside of cannabis in the near future? I don't know. I'm just, it's conjecture. It's just, it's conversation. I'd love to hear what you think though. I mean, honestly, I'm seeing an increasing amount of, of non-cannabis funds and investors jump in, uh, both on record and off the record, right? Even even off the record conversations are usually would give you uh, a better temperature, right? Because, of course, you can look at the numbers, but then uh, what you notice is like, yeah, very big investments, but but focused on very few companies. Um, but then, you know, it's it's. It's that interest barometer that I'm that I'm going for right now, right? Uh, 
the investor interest barometer. We should publish that. Exactly. Hobby, so hobbies investor barometer. Like what, what are family offices in Chile looking at? What Chile. are family offices in Argentina looking at? Why are uh, the, the main VCs in Mexico looking at this? Why are Swiss investors and German investors? And, and I don't mean, again, these are not cannabis-specific funds, but just people who are interested in venture capital, similar to the case of, of Brock Pierce, right? Like like we had an, on our show on Thursday. Where really cool like, interview. Dude, like I'm investing in a bunch of disruptive things, one of which is the psychedelic space right yeah um, um with that said let's cool. let's let's uh let's, let, let's end that thought process there uh i love right. it though i'm all i'm all for jib that's what i'm naming hobbies investor barometer uh with that being said mr mikey thank you for tuning in not sold on the value of etf seems they all have too many dogs what do you how do you value etfs drop your comments in the chat we'd love to hear from you guys uh let us know when you look at an etf what is important to you? Is it tier one MSOs? Is it tier two? Is it the volume? Uh, is it having too many a- assets under management? I- I'm so curious as to what you all are looking for there. With that being said, though, we're going to move on to our guests today who are far more important than us, albeit nobody can be quite as good looking as Javier Jase. With that being said, let's bring over the CEO of Belief Medical, Jason Nelson. All right, Jason, welcome in my. Great, guys. Thanks to uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah good of to course. Absolutely. Very happy to have you, man. So I see you have those are some of your brands right behind you. If you guys are watching the video right now, we have suede cannabis and sense cannabis for those listening to the podcast after the fact. Uh, but tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do and where you operate. Yeah, so uh, currently serving as the uh, chief executive officer for Belief Medical, um, have been with the company about eight months. Uh, before that, did a six-year stint in uh, Illinois MSOs, and prior prior to that, was with uh, a vertically integrated operated in Denver, starting in 2012. So it's it's been somewhat of a story career, and, and honestly, stumbling onto someone like uh, Belief when I did, uh, you know, there's certainly been a great marriage with uh, my previous experience, obviously, and. And how well they were positioned coming into, you know, at the time that, that I crossed paths with them, what we hoped would be an adult use launch via amendment and then putting resources behind that. And now obviously recognizing adult use sales here in February. So, um, yeah, to your point, uh, you know, Belief as a vertically single state operator, integrated operator. Suede is our retail brand, uh, rather Suede is our retail brand. <laughs> Got five retail sites that are, are, are fairly adjacent to St. Louis um, City, and then since is our legacy flower concentrate and edible brand, uh, and yeah, the, it, both very successful brands for Belief when I came here, and I was just very excited to leverage that success with my operational acumen. Awesome, man. Well, I, I'm I'll let Javi ask the next one, but I'm obsessed with the fact that you had to point out it was an Illinois MSO. <laughs> <laughs> that really that really clarifies your experience here in, in cannabis, right? <laughs> So, I mean, why pivot to a single state operator, both you personally, and then why the single state approach for, for belief, right? When when so many are arguing MSO is a way to go, many argue a single state is a way to go. Many will say, yeah, the U.S. market is done altogether, right? It's saturated. You know, there's more opportunity elsewhere. So why the single state approach and why do you choose this specific state? Yeah, well, that's uh, as as honestly happens uh, frequently. There's there's always intuition and there's motivation and focus, and then there's circumstantial introductions, right? So, um, you know, as part of pandemic, uh, I was working downtown Chicago. Loved living in Chicago. Wife and kids were were stationed there. Uh, with with 2020, we essentially closed the majority of the corporate office and did work from home. Um, you know, was certainly that pivot for an MSO was you know still uh, some jet setting and, and some of the similar activities we had before and covering a multi state platform. But uh, as it looked like we were getting deeper into the pandemic and we weren't going back to a traditional corporate setting, uh, I made the ask, hey, I, I've got a lot of family in the St. Louis area. Obviously, Lambert as a Midwest hub could allow me to satisfy both coasts uh, as I needed to. And so, you know, relocated down here in, in late 2021 and then continued to work for my, my MSO um, for another roughly a year, year and a half after that. Um, and so then uh, generally as, you know, six years in an MSO, as you guys know, is a, a lifetime. And, and so ultimately was considering next steps was in a bit of a cool down period as it's not a, a secret that a lot of those MSOs certainly have um, some restrictions on what states you can operate in. Um, I stumbled onto uh, one of the Belief founders at uh, really it was the Blaze conference here in June. That was the first discussion between a regulator, a lobbyist on what the amendment like might look like. I had just decided to attend 
it to, uh, to understand what adult use might look like in Missouri. Still at that time thinking that, hey, my, my skill sets, my uh, experience really does layer itself into a top MSO type uh, relationship in a working role. And, and the rest is history, so to speak. They were certainly looking for a COO initially. I joined them and, and just opted to take the other work streams that normally go with the EO uh, out of the gate. And then, you know, uh, worked through a, a very tactile relationship with our board and founders, a great group of people there, uh, and really understood what, what Leaf was positioned to do. And then we did. We got the amendment across the finish line and, and we're lucky to back into adult use here in February. Now, we can start a little bit more, um, we'll say broad with the state of Missouri, and then I think we'll, we'll narrow into belief here. But why, I mean, why the amount of success? Why the amount of excitement? Like, how is this happening for Missouri? Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, there's different reasons for why it's not happening in a state like New York. Uh, but, but how is Missouri getting it right? But you guys are backing into the algorithm that everybody's trying to pen right now, you know, even compared to Illinois, where you have a a license number by consuming population, by wholesale pricing, you know, all of those relationships in Missouri, um, you know, were a step in a more heavily licensed uh, direction than, say, compared to Illinois, for example. Um, And while we're not so heavily licensed as someone like a Michigan, California, Oregon, those circumstances. So when you find this little sweet spot of, you know, 60 plus uh, licensed operators producing wholesale material, uh, borderline, you know, give or take 200 dispensaries, uh, 200 plus now, I believe, that are, are active across the state. What we found in a medical market is that was a, a bit of a tough operating climate with respect to the purchasing eligible population, right? If, uh, if you look at something like yeah. St. Louis, never had more than 6,000 medical patients total in all of urban St. Louis. And we know that there are plenty of cannabis consumers in that population. One, they had the option to jump over to Illinois. Two, they might have been uh, just intransigent to listing themselves as a cannabis consumer with uh, a government agency as we've seen. So when you take away that constraint, uh, what you found is that certainly Missouri had strong wholesale inventories going into adult use. You had plenty of uh, retail brick and mortar sites to norm- relatively normalize access. I know there's you know, there's certainly an argument that you could uh, you know, enjoy some more dispensaries and, and have a little more normalized relationship there. But um, what that manifested itself as first, I mean, uh, at the bottom line is, is attractive wholesale and retail pricing for consumers. Um, and, you know, that's at the end of the day, I think every operator has to acknowledge the fact of, listen, I indirectly directly or directly competing with an illicit market product price. If I, oh, can, yeah. you know, if I can put a value add of 15 to 20% on top of that purchase for the one safely tested products and quality assured products, variety, those types of things. I think that's a viable conversation that Missouri is having. Um, and, and we hope that continues, right? I mean, the, I'm going to get some sales data here uh, from the state at the end of this month. And, and we certainly understand it's been a, a great upside from initial reports. Now the trick is, is continuing that and making sure that sustains. What excites you about this uh, adult use market, right? It, it seems to be off to a very good start. Um, some exciting stuff going on for sure. But like, what, what, what excites you specifically, right? What, what do you see as an opportunity in Missouri, right? But beyond what you just broke down in terms of, of the number of operators and the transition from medical to, to adult use, where are you seeing Sure. Well, I've had the fortune of this is roughly my fifth adult use pivot, obviously starting in Denver and then cascading forward. And I, th- I think the relationship for one, the consumers uh, was very telling on launch day for us in that you saw very strong medical sales and that you had what you consider enough retail brick and mortar sites that medical patients just didn't disengage. Hey, I drive by, I see a line. I'm, I'm not going to engage in that. What we saw is that our assets as they were positioned, at least on the uh, the west side, east side of the state where we are, uh, we had medical patients bringing in their friends because there wasn't more than a 10 to 15 minute wait. And when you see those types of things, that type of excitement with the launch, that, that's unique, right? Um, you know, you, you certainly understand that, um, you know, having those really long lines like they had on the Kansas City side, uh, which I think is beholden to the fact that hey, a lot of Kansan residents were in a desert, right? They just didn't have access. Um, you know, while that's attractive for PR and it looks good in the newspapers, truthfully, that's not a good customer experience. That's a lot of toll paid on the staff. We're trying to accommodate that. And so really understanding even those two worlds, what we got here in St. Louis uh, has been uh resounding three to four X uh, foot traffic on day one. And we're continually weekend over weekend setting our best uh, days ever. And then I do believe, yeah, you have consumers who are uh, joining to uh, choosing to matriculate in and see us predominantly from Illinois that may not have been out of product on launch day, but now are interested to see, hey, can the quality that's uh, seemingly there live up to the the better pricing? Now, I'd love to dive a little bit further in 
to how you're going to go deep? Like, what's your strategy? You know, I would imagine it's a bit restrictive having just come online and a newer market. So how many retail dispensaries can you actually own? So how are you pushing your brands, you know, sense and suede to the consumer? How are you creating consumer loyalty? How are you, um, you know, making belief the go-to shop in, in Missouri for cannabis consumers? It's a great question. And that's really a holistic approach, right? I mean, one, first and foremost, you certainly have to ver- have a very strong barometer of your quality price relationship. Um, you know, since comfortably positioned in a good, better, best strategy in the, in the better realm, um, you're right. Of This is a product that uh, is certainly not the top priced uh, unit of flour on the market. But for those who are purchasing from us, I think we're, we're consistently noted as one of the top qualities within the state. And then the trick is scaling that successfully and maintaining that relationship, right? It's uh, We've certainly seen where operators, uh, you know, may violate, violate that over time where, you know, hey, so-and-so wasn't what they used to be, the, those types of conversations. Um, and I think to the, the bigger writ large perspective on, you know, how do you deploy into remaining capital uh, or eligible capital? to, say, leverage existing production uh, capacities. So, for example, I'm at about 42,000 square feet. I have a total capacity of 90. Um, And I think, honestly, of lessons learned from uh, MSOs is that really the plant the flag or the overextension phase is and it can be costly. Right. And so I think I'm more in position to say, listen, I have strong brands. I have strong relationships. Um, You know, I have a very strong marketing team that understands those. Really, it is. It's fundamental ground level relationships with a brand. And not only that, the consumers of your brand, which honestly, you can can certainly pinpoint a few instances where the bigger players have just missed that mark. It seems like they're trying to speak to a consumer that isn't even engaged yet. Um, And while they might be doing that well, you you just can't motivate a legacy purchaser to go into the Walmart of cannabis, for example. If you can't, they don't feel good about it. Right. It's not something that they really want to back into. Are you uh, sorry? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I would say the, so. Twenty twenty three for us is I, I'll be on the back end of, of leveraging my capacity versus the front end. You know, if, if we're into June and July and it looks like we are holding strong inventories, there's room for more capacity. Conversely, uh, if I have a wholesale relationship with other manufacturers that allows me to leverage that capital into merely um, a wholesale of material into my brands, that, that's also a viable outcome for twenty three. This is a of no consequence marketing question, but will it become Belief Co. or are you going to keep the medical? Right. Uh, yeah, I had that same question at a previous operator. <laughs> it's true, right? I, I think truthfully, of, of those consumers that we do want to tap into who are not engaged yet, a lot of that is a, a medically focused type relationship with cannabis. And honestly, it is going to have to be some FDA trials. Maybe I can leverage some Israeli research or something that says, hey, uh, for any of these uh, eligible consumers who maybe have concerns about pharmaceutical implications that their doctor can't advise them on, or some of those other key barriers to that next um, you know, set of spenders, Honestly, a, a medical moniker, I think, does lend some legitimacy, even though, to your point, yeah, we, we clearly have a strong lane as an adult use provider. I have two questions, but I only have time for once. I'm going to let you pick the topic. We can talk marketing or the implication is uh, Missouri for red states. So politics or marketing? Yeah, uh, let's stick with politics. Why not? We'll, try, we'll get more conjecture, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll think out in a real way. Yes. Okay, so very straightforward question. Is the launch of adult use uh, sales in Missouri a turning point, a tipping point for the rest of the red states? You know, I think there's certainly there's case studies to be taken from what we've done here uh, and leveraged into future legislation or even existing draft legislation that I, I think is is very valuable. Uh, certainly, we could spend a whole lot of time talking on the restorative justice, the expungements, uh, those elements. Missouri is really uh, showing some strong models in that case. Now, granted, anyone in that space will tell you there's always more work to be done. But, um, you know, understanding of a, a preconceived medical program then transitioning into adult use, you know, there's clear lessons that the sky doesn't fall, tax revenues go up. Um, there, there's certainly, you know, key unintended consequences that, you know, even credit a market like Illinois as a second generation medical market really baked into, um, you know, its operator requirements. And when you look at it a case by case basis, you certainly have interesting markets in, in Louisiana, for exist, you know, Georgia with what they're trying to do with HBCUs. You know, those are also what I would consider uh, very finite and specific that I would hope they would take the successful elements that we have had here and, and be able to leverage those. But then if you want to talk the last really big bastion of uh, non-regulated access to cannabis consumers, it's in Texas. Uh, for all intents and purposes. And so your ability mm-hmm. to consider, hey, a hub and spoke into Texas actually may be more of a valuable focus than, say, trying to understand what uh, what other red states, uh, predominantly the South, will, will be able to accomplish. Interesting. We're going to have a conversation at our upcoming event with uh, Good Day Farms. 
uh, around what's happening in overall cannabis in the South. Uh, and I'd love to bring you, you know, maybe, you know, back on and the next time we can get you on for this interview, chat more holistically about that. Cause it's obviously a different relationship between consumer and cannabis. No, I look forward to it. We're, we're cooperation with good day, right? <laughs> <laughs> them well and, and we'll continue to compete. So I look forward to it. Thank hey, you. two great operators, but Jason, we appreciate you being on. Thank you so much for your time today. CEO of belief medical co for now. Uh, with that being said, my friend, thank you again. We'll see you soon. Appreciate you guys. Yeah. All um, right. Great um, interview. Uh, I mean, Jason is a man who knows Missouri and, and Illinois and, and Denver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, yeah. three other, two other markets uh, regarding, you know, going from uh, medical to rec. But I mean, wealth of knowledge. Really appreciate him joining us. But Javi, any last thoughts on Missouri before we bring over uh, another valued guest? I do think we're starting to see red states tip. We'll see what happens in the next few years. And let's keep there was a it poll. flipping. Yeah, yeah, let's do let's keep There it. was a poll. There was a yeah, poll. Yeah, who do we have next? Yeah, well, no one cares who, cares. who cares about <laughs> consumer insight? You know, nobody cares. That being said, let's bring over somebody we do care about. It's Amy Larson, head of communications and marketing at Tilt Holdings OTC listed TLLTF. Welcome in, Amy. How Hi, are guys. you? I'm well. Nice to see you guys. You too. You know, Javi, I'm sure you've actually probably known her longer than me. I knew Amy when she was at Simplifya. Um, you are mm-hmm. an OG to me in this space. Since <laughs> I started at Benzinga, your name has been on my list of people I should be talking to. So oh. always thrilled to have you on with our she show. And thank you for coming. Simply fire. That's hey! what we should be saying going forward. It's a sh- yeah. You should that- be in marketing, Javier. Like you know, <laughs> we actually. So here's here's our next marketing move for Women's March. We're having only male guests on the show. Love no, I'm it. kidding. Love it. it's the- <laughs> I almost kicked him off right there, Amy. Uh, <laughs> no, that- it's the opposite. Obviously, but- obviously, we're having only women throughout all of March. We have Wendy Berger, Alice Moon, Courtney Barnes, uh, Susie. Laura, we're kicking Bianchi. it off today. We're kicking it off right now. Early. Yeah, we're early. yes. Women's History Month starts now with Amy Larson. I am so excited to dive into what it means to be a woman in cannabis and, and to be enlightened and educated. Like I, I want to be educated over the next month in terms of of how we should be looking at, at businesses run by women in this industry, yep. how we be how we should be uh, looking to promote, to network with, to do business with. Uh, and I'm excited to start that conversation here, Amy. But first, can you give us a little introduction? Obviously, we stole a little bit of your thunder, uh, but just uh, dive back into who you are and your history sure. in cannabis. Sure. Thank, thanks again so much. So um, I actually, um, I'm based in Denver. I got my start in the cannabis industry actually in like late 2014. My my prior experience was all in tourism and, and hospitality, resorts, destinations, and actually a consumption tour came to me and they wanted some help with PR. And that was really my introduction into, into this industry. And from there I got involved. I fell in love with it. I educated myself. I learned how much we've been lied to about this plant. And um, I was working at a marketing agency and I built out the cannabis division um, of that agency in 2015 um, got to work with some really cool clients in in Denver and in California. Then Elliot, yeah, I went and worked um, at Simplifya for a couple of years and was ready to 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 make a change. I I learned that as critically important as I think compliance is, and I know compliance is in this industry. Um, trying to sell market software was not my jam after working in, you know, really cool, fun tourism, consumer facing things for a long time. So was really, really thrilled when um, the opportunity came to join uh, the team at Tilt. Um, And it's going on two years ago. Um, It'll be two years in June. Two Uh, years already? It is. You know, I mean, you guys know this industry is dog years, like everyone, Mm, you know, like we all know. Um, and so I, you know, I've taken over the, the marketing and communications department at Tilt. Um, and I was also recently named to the board of directors for NCIA. So, yes, Amy. Let me ask you, what is a consumption tour? Did you say consumption tour? Yeah. And, and there's a follow up to this. Like, yeah. what is a consumption tour exactly? So it's um, they hire um, private buses, vans that have a separate, you know, seating area for the 
the driver, but basically they would drive you around to dispensaries. They would do cultivation tours and you could consume on the bus um, while, you know, you were going to these tours. And I know in years since they've expanded it to, I think they've got yoga classes and like sushi and they, I mean, there's a whole, Ooh, now you got whole, my attention. Yeah. There's a whole um, <laughs> array of, of tours that they offer. And, you know, it was really interesting working with, um, you know, 420 friendly hotels before anybody really mm -hmm. wanted to say they were 420 friendly hotels, but, but they were there. So I and I, there, there, go ahead. There, there's a quick follow up, right? Yeah. The reason why I asked this is like, it seems like a very interesting transition from that more of a stony vibe where like, you know, mm -hmm. my look, right? Like the, the kind of thing that I would enjoy on a Saturday to the uh, nuances and the compliance involved in, in working mm -hmm. at a public cannabis company, right? A publicly traded yeah. cannabis company and a top 10 cannabis company, you know, uh, even more so, right? So how that how is that transition, right? From that mm -hmm. early, those early days in like this nascent, like more, you know, Colorado yeah. 420 consumption vibes to the super serious. Yeah. So today. I mean it's been it's been a really it's been a really interesting path and a really interesting journey to watch. Clearly, you know, one of the things that we saw, you know, back in you know 2014, 2015 was Everybody was still really, you know, people who weren't familiar with the plant, didn't know the industry. Everybody was still very, you know, nervous about it. But there was also, there was also, you know, a lot of people like me and who were working in, in agencies like that, who was like, there's so many ways that we can, we can help. We can help legitimize this. We can help normalize this through the means that we have, like, your website doesn't have to be built by your cousin in his basement and you can have really <laughs> cool packaging and branding and positioning that says more that that's more than just a, a green pot leaf on it. Right. I mean, I remember having a conversation with the CEO, we were rebranding um, their company and changing colors. And he was like, no, I want it to be green and black. And our pushback was everything is green and black. You need to stand out. Like, let us shift this. And it wasn't until he saw his booth come to life at MJ BizCon in, you know, these different colors and different things. And he's like, OK, now I get it. Now I see what you're talking about. So it's as as the industry has, you know, matured and spread and whether medical or adult use. And I think, honestly, as a lot of the industry has spread, you know, further east, there's become it, it's starting to become a lot more normalized. It's become sure. a lot more professional. And I say that because even, you know, I, I think a lot of the, the legacy operators also still see that there is some value in, in you know, in, in kind of this normalization side of things, I think. Mm, I love that. Now, before we dive in. education that has to be done across the board. That's why we're mm. not seeing those red states turn because it's a hard fight, but there's a lot of destigmatizing and normalizing and education that yeah. needs to be done on a local level. Um, That's yeah, absolutely. Before we dive into a, a little bit more of, you know, your specific uh -huh. job with tilt tilt's a little different, you know, for those that, you know, don't know the ins and outs of the company, you guys are both a, a retailer and, and have products, but mm -hmm. also a partner. Um, you know, can you give us a little sense of how you work within the industry? Sure, absolutely. So you're absolutely right. Tilt is um, technically an MSO, but we take a much different approach to to the industry. We have Jupiter is our our vaporiz vaporization hardware um, R and D and distributor um, uh, uh, division yeah. based out of Phoenix. I love that. Um, <laughs> We actually have fan. some really cool new devices that we debuted at MJ Biz that will be hitting the market in the next couple of months. Um, in Massachusetts, we operate under the brand of Commonwealth Alternative Care. We have we're vertically integrated, and then have three dispensaries. Two are co-located, and one is medical only in Cambridge. And then in Pennsylvania and Ohio, um, we operate under the banner of Standard Farms. And um, we do not have retail in those two states, but then we're also getting ready to open our um, dispensary that's being built in partnership with the Shinnecock tribe on Long Island. And that will be opening um, before summer this year. So really excited about that. But Elliot, to your point about partners, 
Um, one of the strategies that we have really leaned into over the last couple of years that was really kind of Gary, our, our CEO's vision, was becoming a partner to some of these brands who are looking to to expand um, so that we can position ourselves not in a way where we're competing with other MSOs in their retail space, but helping to fill their shelves with a wide variety of, of different brands to help them hit different demographics. And so we're really, really fortunate to partner with brands like um, Heisman by Ricky Williams. We partner with Old Pal, um, Timeless, Arrow, 1906 in a couple of our markets, Her Highness in our markets. Um, we've just launched um, Black Buddha Cannabis a couple of months ago in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania. And we are actually just um, launching, it should be on shelves tomorrow, um, Coda, which is a, a high-end nice. you know, chocolate. Yeah. Incredible. Yes. Some of the best tasting chocolates you'll, you'll ever taste. They'll be live. <laughs> it's um, tomorrow. So. I, I love that. Everything you just said is so cool and so awesome, but I, your job has to be a little harder then, right? With, with the marketing side. I mean, you're, you're marketing different brands. You're marketing yeah. two different consumer groups to an extent, but yeah. I actually like to pick your brain on that. How, how different is the consumer state by state brand per brand uh, that you're trying to get in front of? So the, so, so the nice, you know, one of the things about, about our, our brand partners is while we help support their sales and we help support their teams, my marketing team does, you know, to the extent that they, that they're needed, um, they kind of get to own their own brand and their own marketing um, in each of those states. What's more complicated, Elliot, is how we have to kind of make some of those adjustments for each brand based on the state regulations. So while we're in Massachusetts, Ricky Williams brand can go to market as Heisman, right? It's a cool play on the Heisman trophy and he's got this great, really authentic story. But when you go to Pennsylvania, it's a medical market only and Heisman sounded too recreational. So we actually had to resubmit the packaging, the branding, the naming. It's actually called H by Ricky Williams in Pennsylvania. Um, we had a similar thing um, a year That's ago when we were launching Old Pal in Pennsylvania, um, where all of their flour had historically been in Mylars. And at the time, you couldn't put flour in a Mylar in Pennsylvania. So, you know, changing up some, uh, working with them to change up some of their aesthetic and how we talk about it. You can't have shareable cannabis when you're in a medical state. So you can't even call it cannabis in <laughs> Pennsylvania or Ohio. It's always medical marijuana. So there are some really interesting, you know, kind of compliance regulations that we have to deal with and how we're going to message things. Um, and so, you know, we work really closely with our partners to help kind of guide them to success in that way. Um, so it's yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's an interesting challenge. Um, I love it. I mean, you're getting I feel like you're uh, you're marketing multiple companies at once. Yeah, well, it, not to mention our own companies. Yeah, exactly. Which is, it's very cool. You know, I have a question, you know, and, and, and this is one that actually I was thinking about and then and Maureen mentioned in, in the chat as well, right? Um, this is, you know, of course, you know, partnering with the Shinnecock uh, mm -hmm. Nation is the right thing to do. And even though your CEO's surname is Santo, you're a company, you're not saints, right? Like you're, you're a good company, right? And, and, It's oh, don't say, don't say that too loud to him, Javier. Not <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't waste an opportunity to, to do a play in words with Spanish. Um, but you know, it's what is the financial sense of this, mm -hmm. right? If, if a shareholder were to ask you, okay, beyond this being the right thing, right? Beyond this uh, being partnering with the right people, uh, doing something that that is for the greater good, right? That mm -hmm. supports people other than ourselves, right? But like, what is the, the financial sense of this partnership and how is it going so far? So I will say, you know, the, the, the partnership is, is going, it, it's going great. Um, the Shinnecock people are really dedicated to, to doing this the right way. And it will be one of the first tribally owned dispensaries in the country. There are a lot of 
um, dispensaries on um, sovereign territory um, throughout the country, but they're owned by individual tribe members. So the way this business is being set up is is really it's very um, it's very unique, and it gives us a little bit of that first mover advantage when it comes to an adult use dispensary in the state of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a social equity partnership in a in a wholly different sense, where you know Tilt as an MSO, while we are in helping to invest in the building of it and the operations and the training, and you know getting things set up for the dispensary to be successful. Ultimately, the Shinnecock own it. Um, we don't then become 49% minority owners in this business. Um, they ultimately own the business. They own the brands we developed. They own they own everything. And so it's, um, you know, Javier, you ask, you know, what's that kind of financial outlook look like? When you, when you have a dispensary uh, right off of Montauk Highway, you know, going out to the Hamptons in the summer, that's a, that's a nice financial benefit, right? <laughs> but it's sure. also the opera. It's also the, the place where, you know, there's a lot of, as Gary has said, Mr. Santo has said, the MSOs, the big players in the industry have not really had to bear some of the weight of the struggle that the social equity operators have, the social equity businesses have. I mean, even as we look at states that are prioritizing licensing for social equity partners or prioritizing funds, if there's not, you know, some of that mentorship and that leadership and that education on how to run a business, that training, where does that, you know, where does that, where does that leave those, you know, those social equity or, or restorative justice operators in, in the scheme of, in the scheme of things, somebody, you know, there are multi-million dollar operators with hundreds of employees who are failing and we're expecting, you know, people who may not have training in the ins and outs of a cultivation facility and packaging and this, that, and the other um, to go out and to, to, to be successful. And so that type of dedication and investment, not only from dollars, but from our team's experience and expertise is really as much of the, the contribution to, the success of this is anything else. That's so cool. Thank you, Amy, for that. Um, kind of as we wrap up here, mm-hmm. you know, I want your to, to dive into your personal experience. Um, you know, given that it's almost Women's History Month, almost March, Aaron. Um, with that said, you're a mom. You know, you're 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 a woman working in cannabis. You know, tell us a little bit about your experience, and, and really, honestly, just speaking to other uh, other people that may be in the same. Uh, situation as you uh, being being a mom, being a woman in cannabis, and looking to succeed in this industry. Um, and do you have any any thoughts there? A- any advice and or any experience you want to share? Um, I can share a little bit of both. Um, I think being a woman in this industry is, you know, it's it's as challenging as it is being a woman in in almost any industry, right? And I think the challenges are different based on where in the industry that that you sit. And kind of wearing the organism in, you know, a, a leadership position that you sit. Um, I know, you know, cultivation and, you know, high-end concentrates and stuff were really a male-dominated space for a long time. Well, that's that's changing. Um, we're seeing more and more women being accepted kind of into that boys club. Um, what I would say as, um, as a mom in this industry, and I'm a mom to teenagers, so, you know, I've got, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're pushing those boundaries all the time. Um, I think that education and that normalization has to come at home. We speak very frankly to our kids about cannabis as honestly as we speak to them about alcohol. We have to educate them. We have to stop lying hmm. to our kids. Nobody wants to encourage them to go use it but let's not lie to them about what we're doing. Um, and so whether, you know, you're a mom or you're just a woman in the industry, I think starting to break those barriers down at home in your neighborhood, you know, talking to the other moms of your friends, I think that's as important as anything else. But I also think um, I, one of the things that I've learned recently is that especially kind of women in this industry who are, you know, a little bit, older um, or, or are, you know, and I count myself, you know, kind of in that young Gen X, old millennial age group, you know, 
we were taught that we could be anything when we grew up. But what a lot of us heard was that we have to be everything. And I think we really need to take some of that pressure off ourselves and off of our fellow females and our fellow moms in life and in this industry in general and work to lift each other up rather than, you know, rather than continue to tear each other down because we're not going to get anywhere if we continue to divide from within. Totally, totally agree. And, and I find it very interesting that you mentioned, though, that you're seeing progress on the cultivation and extraction and concentrates segment of the industry, because in my experience, that has been the one where I've seen the least progress. And friend after friend and colleague after colleague will call it to keep it, uh, you know, age appropriate and, and, and professional. Let's call right. it a pitching match. Uh, but but you all know what it, what it kind of means there, and it's uber professional hobby. Yeah. Yes, um, I gotcha. We're here. <laughs> can you elaborate a little bit on this? Like, why are you seeing like? Because I'm surprised, right? I still feel yeah. like it's it's very dude dominated it, space it, of the industry within the industry specifically, right? It's like the, the growers have the best weed, and my weed is the best. And you go to competitions and cups around the world, and I go to many. And it's always mm -hmm. guys. And maybe there's like three female growers and they don't right. even make it past the first round. And, and I try their weed. Yeah. It's awesome. It, it kicks others, other growers' butts. Mm -hmm. And they will go like, yeah, no, but it's like, Nimi. so I, I, yeah. I really would love your, your insight I, here. So I guess I should clarify um, your, your, your dude bros who are the guys who are out there, you know, bragging and, you know, on potentially winning cups, but I'm talking about seeing women, I'm seeing, you know, actually women working in the cultivation team in the facility. And I think we're seeing, I think we're seeing more of that. I think, um, you know, I actually have um, my, my youngest sister is much cooler than I am. She is actually an emerald cup sweeping ice hash maker. Um, and Whoa. seeing the, yeah, she, she, re she received an invitation to ego clash in, um, Barcelona. So I'll be there next week. That's how cool my baby sister is. I will, I I'll, I'll hook you. I'll hook you up. Um, hobby, but, but I think at, you know, seeing it, it's still, I guess it's still very much a boys club, but I think women are starting to to infiltrate those spaces. Mm -hmm. And to your point, her stuff is, her stuff is fire. And, you know, you just have to, I think some of those blind submissions where they don't know if it's a woman or a man till it wins is what's going to help kind of change that. That, we'll love that. I think. Amy, we are to the end of our time here, but we really appreciate you going into that uh, at the end of this interview. Uh, it, it's, we, we want that sort of insight. We want that sort of education. And that's the only way this industry moves forward. Uh, so breaking the stigma, both cannabis consumer wise and um, on a gender or sex scale uh, in the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, we really appreciate you bringing both of your levels of insights to this podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Thanks, Amy. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Okay. We'll see you here in Miami and just really big thank you to both of our guests today. Great insights from Jason Nelson, CEO of Belief Medical in Missouri. Uh, fantastic insights from Amy Larson, head of communications and marketing at Tilt. And I do want to say, y'all, if you are a woman in this industry, if you are um, a minority business owner, if you are a veteran business owner, if you have been affected by the war on drugs, we have free tickets for you to our Cannabis Capital Conference series in Miami. Uh, we do want to promote access to funding, yeah. access to partners, access to people like the ones you've heard from on this show, uh, and make sure that you and, can yeah. grow your business effectively. Claim them for real. Like Elliot and I are, are an earnest are reviewing every application. Like we, mm -hmm. we actually spend the time to read it together uh, and understand, right? Like people, and, and here's something I will say. You can tell when someone is a real applicant and when someone is just trying to get a free ticket. Because the section where it says, please explain, every person who is for real, it's like, to, to, you just read it and you, you can- You just know. Through the screen. It's like, you can tell. It's insane. Y'all, this- is, 
saying this is a great segue but first 420 phoenix accounting uh please head to bzcannabis.com um and search you'll see and apply uh you'll see our, our social equity you'll see uh, invest in her you know but there's several ways to get to that form uh just head to bzcannabis.com and if you have further questions email us at cannabis hour at benzinga.com so, yeah. so but, just, just a quick uh explainer here i was trying to find it you go to bzcannabis.com and you go to get involved and you have minority-owned business and women-owned businesses um i didn't want to tell them to just search through the site uh, <laughs> that seemed unprofessional. <laughs> so thank you, Javi. Thank you so much. And that being said, th- that was a lovely segue, Javi, uh, from the, the field that people have to, to fill out in the scholarship uh, form to the field that people are filling out in the media form. My favorite Javi is Sassy Javi. And oh, y'all, if you come in as, as you're applying for a media pass and you're not media, Javi is <laughs> not... Having to be fair, no wait, wait. To be fair, these are internal <laughs> conversations that we're having, evaluating each application. But uh, yeah, I do. You get posted that. it on Twitter. What are you talking about? <laughs> you have like three threads on Twitter about this. Don't come for me right now. <laughs> no names. Come on, it, this it's okay. It's like it's it's like a blanket statement. It's like, dude, here's what makes you a journalist. Here's what makes you press being a journalist. Here's, yeah. here's what doesn't make you press. Y'all, having 100 followers in Twitter. I am not a journalist. I host a podcast. Javier is a journalist. Uh, Maureen Meehan in the chat is a journalist. Y'all, they they are the, the true heroes uh, of shining lights on this industry that need featuring. With that being said, we have come to a close. It was a long show today, but a super, super insightful one. Thank you all for sticking with us. Like, subscribe, share with your friends. Do all that jazz. Make sure you tune in every single day to Cannabis Daily. Same channels uh, as this uh, to get your daily five-minute uh, dose of cannabis news. And with that said, Javier Haas, last words to you, but appreciate you, brother. Thanks to everybody. We will see you again. Getting ready, getting ready, getting ready. Hit me up at Javier Hasse on every social uh, media platform. You can see the name there. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to make it bigger just for a second, just so you can see it. You can see it. See it there, there. Notice he made me smaller to get bigger. In Barcelona for Spanibus Rice CBC. And of course, hit me up if you will be at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference in Miami at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami Beach, April 11th and 12th. Or if you're hitting the Benzinga Psychedelics Capital Conference on the 13th at the same location, oh. I would love to link up. I would love to hear what you're doing. And I would love to set you up with our editorial team for a full feature to showcase everything everyone is doing. Benzinga is an inclusive platform. We don't just feature big MSOs. We don't just feature LPs. We feature everyone from the largest company to the smallest one and their grandma. And their grandma. Not their aunts, though. We don't do their aunts. With that being said, that's it, y'all. We are done for the day. Otherwise, we'll keep going for the next hour. Uh, Malia, take us off the air. We appreciate y'all. See you next time.